Hey, I'm Steph. I'm Alex. And this is Not Today. And we're live, Queen. Oh, King. So nice to see you. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Great. It's just good to be in your presence. Thank you so much. You know? As it is for you. <laughs> I floundered. I got scared. Oh, no. Oh, no. I didn't know what to say. Here That's we are okay. doing two-parter. A it's, two-part. It's been a while. It has. Since we've done a two-parter. What but was this, the last one? Who knows? It's been a while. So how would I remember? I don't know. <laughs> I, it probably was. It was probably um, the one that you told uh with the bank robbery no oh um what's her name the heiress sneaky girl yeah yeah she was (laughs) patty hurst patty hurst that was most likely the last two-parter yeah patty hurst that was a good story was it not yeah but yeah i'm excited for this week because i know the broad strokes of the story but i'm excited to see what detail you've uh brought up Absolutely. And just like how we haven't done a two-part story in a while, we also haven't talked about a cult in a while. So it was time. Uh, yeah, we could, you could say that, I guess. So we're going to be talking about the Waco siege. And this story is a very big one. Where we're going is a 51-day standoff between the U.S. government and a religious cult in Waco, Texas back in 1993. But before we can get there, we need to first go back and learn about what led to that very big and tragic event. There is so much backstory as well as practices and inner workings of this cult at that time to cover. And that's what we're going to be talking about in part one. So shall we get into it? Let's get into it. Okay. Before we begin, I did want to give a very quick trigger warning. This story does contain child abuse, sexual abuse, as well as brief discussion of miscarriage. David Koresh, who is the leader of the cult that we're going to talk about in a bit, was born with the name Vernon Wayne Howell in Houston, Texas on August 17th in 1959 to a 14-year-old single mother, Bonnie Sue Clark, and 19-year-old Bobby Wayne Howell. He never met his birth father. His mother, Bonnie, stuck around for the first four years of his life, but then she skipped town and left Vernon with her parents. But just a few years later, when he was seven years old, Bonnie did come back. She was married to a man named Roy Halderman, but by all accounts, he was extremely abusive toward Vernon and was an alcoholic. Bonnie and Roy had another son together named Roger, and it's possible that Roy never really looked at Vernon as his son and treated him very poorly because of it. Vernon described his childhood as lonely. Aside from the abandonment, neglect, and abuse he dealt with in his early childhood, he also struggled in school. He was dyslexic and was pulled out of normal classes. He was a bad student and was bullied a lot. It was reported that kids used to tease him and called him names like Vernie, which ultimately resulted in him dropping out of high school during the ninth grade. Which is awful. I know, that's, it's so rough. I mean, kids are dicks. Absolutely. And then he dropped out in the ninth grade. Yeah. That's early. Yeah, super early. It makes sense, unfortunately. And he was dealing with a terrible home life, too. Too much. It's too much for a 14-year-old, right? 15? Yeah. Maybe? Pretty much. However, he did have a strong interest in music and in the Bible. 
Since he had trouble reading, he actually memorized large tracts of the Bible and would preach to other kids at school, which I'm sure didn't help with the bullying. I'm sorry, but that's kind of funny, though, to imagine a ninth grader preaching to his classmates. <laughs> yeah, he was a bit of a an interesting kid, I guess. I mean, just what a scene. Like, did he bring, like, a microphone to school? I don't know if he was going <laughs> like, as far as... On a, on a chair? Yeah, maybe just... maybe elevating himself a little bit and preaching. I mean, you but... gotta... You got to put yourself on a milk crate a little bit. Right. Yeah. Something. I mean, could you just imagine walking into first period and... Vernon's preaching again. Vern's preaching. Yeah. Old Vernie. Uh Uh-oh. As a kid, when Vernon wasn't in school, he spent endless hours studying the Bible and praying. His mother was a part of the Church of Seventh-day Adventists. And because of that, Vernon joined as well. But he would regularly get into arguments with the elders and the pastor in the church He asked questions that they didn't have the answers to, which would make him very angry. But he finally got kicked out of the church when he decided that the preacher's daughter was given to him by God. When he approached the pastor and told him that God wanted him to have his daughter for his wife, he was expelled from the congregation. He basically was like, um, God told me that I'm supposed to have your daughter as a wife. And he was like, yeah, you gotta go. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my God. That is fascinating. And the balls. That is or one thing. Or the delusion. Thing that it, yeah, it's probably that. Was she on board? You know, I don't, I don't know about that one. Although he did have another girlfriend at the time who he did get pregnant um, a few times. The first time she got an abortion and then the second time I, I believe she did have the baby. But then he ended up leaving. So. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. For a brief time, Vernon went to Hollywood to try to make it as a rock star, but when that didn't pan out, he decided that he needed guidance. And based off of his spiritual beliefs, he felt like there had to be a prophet out there for him, which is when a family member told him about the Branch Davidians at Mount Carmel in Waco, Texas. The Branch Davidians are an apocalyptic new religious movement founded in 1955 by Benjamin Rodin. So I guess you can't really say new, but they regarded themselves as a continuation of the General Association of the Davidian Seventh-day Adventists established by Victor Hudif in 1935, which is why I guess it was the logical next step for Vernon because they were kind of a branch of the Seventh-day Adventists, which is maybe why they call themselves the Branch Davidians. There you go. Hey, making connections. I mean, it's not that complicated. They were a small community, their numbers fluctuated, but rarely numbering more than 100 members, and they believed that the end of the world was going to come and they were going to be some of the first chosen to go to heaven. It was appealing to families because they didn't have to worry about anything outside of Mount Carmel. It was safe. They were told they wouldn't have to worry about the future, getting married, having kids, having a job outside of the church, because they were taught God was going to bring his kingdom down to earth and they were going to be special in his eyes. And according to their beliefs, their leader needed to be chosen by God and be a prophet. So all of their spiritual leaders were prophets, like Ben Roden. But in 1978, when Ben Roden died, it shook the group because everyone thought that he was going to live forever. So after Ben Roden died, his wife, Lois Roden, became their next prophet. Lois liked fancy cars, shoes, clothes, and power. And it wasn't too long after she became their leader that Vernon Howell came along. 
Vernon felt that he had not served God properly and wanted to find a prophet or a prophetess to find some guidance. And in 1981, 22-year-old Vernon Howell set out for Mount Carmel. He showed up his long-haired, charismatic hippie type. He and Lois Roden spent a lot of time together. And not long after his arrival, they started a relationship. Which was shocking, because she was in her late 60s at the time, and he was 22. Okay. They would travel together and recruit new followers. And he started teaching Lois things through scripture, which even she was impressed with. Because, you know, she was supposed to be the prophet. So she's like, this kid is teaching me things. How crazy. No, she's too uh, busy being concerned about Mustangs and Valentino white bags. You know what I mean? (laughs) Right. Yeah, or something. So one of the beliefs David held was that it was God's will that they were supposed to produce a holy child together. And that's when they announced that Lois was pregnant. She's in her 60s? Late 60s. Almost 70. When Lois miscarried, Vernon dropped her like a hotcake. He told the group that the reason she miscarried was because she must not have had enough spiritual faith, which meant that he must be their spiritual leader. Yeah, that's horrible. But I feel like his nature wouldn't have him do anything else. He's incredibly sneaky, and he's only going for power. Right. That's his only motive. Yeah, this is what he does. Yeah. But it is horrible. At that time, Lois had let Vernon begin preaching, and because of that, he had gained a loyal following. The people in the group knew that Vernon only had up to a ninth grade education, but he knew so much about the Bible and could teach them so much. So they believed that God must be speaking through him because he was so good at like preaching and teaching them things. So according to one of his ex-followers in the documentary Waco, Madman or Messiah, there was even an incident where a few of his followers took Lois out in a van and as they were driving down the road, opened up the doors and threw her out of the back of the van because they didn't need her anymore because now they had Vernon. Whoa. Which is incredibly dark. They just tossed her out on the street literally according to one of his ex-followers wow yeah that's so cold yes and because he could get a woman in her late 60s pregnant he was a god you know because it's like you can't really do that usually so they were like wow that's incredible it was a lot so in it's just so gross yeah In 1985, Vernon went to Israel, and while he was there, he had a divine visitation. A chariot came down, and the angels took him beyond the constellations, and he now had a divine destiny and understanding of the Bible, apparently. And this was significant, because he had a stutter before that, and then after that, he didn't. So, that was his explanation. Wait, he was preaching and stuttering? According to him, yes. Wow. He said after that, his after his divine visitation, he didn't have a stutter anymore. And he came back and suddenly he had so much more knowledge. And that's when he decided that his name was going to be David Koresh instead of Vernon Howell. And he had it legally changed to David Koresh. So David is the king of Israel 
that is to come someday and bring the world peace, and Koresh is based on the Hebrew Cyrus, the Messiah, to redeem the true people of God. So, David Koresh. Sure. Right. Even the people who didn't like him thought that he was their God. He had the answers for everything. Any question they asked him, he could answer using the Bible. He had all these ideas, and he could put them all together, and he used his musical ability to draw people in and recruit them. He taught them that they were a part of something bigger than them. When David Koresh got back to Mount Carmel, there was some conflict. George Roden, who was the son of Lois Roden, was pissed that David had taken his spot as the successor to his mother because he believed that the group would be his once his mother fell from power. So he filed a lawsuit in court alleging that David had raped and brainwashed his mother into turning against him. And then in 1987, George Roden forced David and about 25 of his followers out of Mount Carmel at gunpoint after David had set an administration building with all of his mother's teachings inside on fire. Wow. Yeah. How about take him to court over that? He did. Okay. Well, he was trying to. George, who had been losing everything, challenged David to resurrect a dead body. So he's like the true prophet would be able to bring someone back from the dead. Okay, try that one out, Dave. Yeah, okay. So George dug up a body of a woman for them to use to like resurrect. But David saw this as an opportunity to finally get George out. So instead of doing that, he called the cops and told them that George was doing some weird stuff with a body. And they told him that they needed proof of that. So David and around seven of his followers about a month later came back to Mount Carmel and stormed it to quote unquote get that proof. But really it was to reclaim Mount Carmel. So on November 3rd, 1987, Koresh and seven of his followers returned to Mount Carmel heavily armed and wearing camouflage and they stealthily entered the compound, allegedly to obtain a photograph. However, they did not bring a camera, but carried weapons and a map of the grounds with positions to occupy, and they found Rodin crouched behind a tree with an Uzi submachine gun, and a gun battle ensued for several minutes. Rodin fled the property with wounds to his hands and chest, and Koresh's companions were found not guilty, after a two-week trial for attempted murder in Waco, and a mistrial was declared in Koresh's case. They were even given back their weapons. So they had <laughs> So they had a duel of sorts, and David Koresh and his followers won back Mount Carmel. And oh after his followers were acquitted, David invited the prosecutors to Mount Carmel for ice cream. Dude, what the fuck is going isn't on in Waco, the, Texas? Isn't that the most insane thing you've ever heard in your life? They essentially performed a military operation on Mount Carmel. Yes. Shot George Roden multiple times. Yes. And then were all acquitted on trial in court. And then invited the prosecutors for ice cream. That is insane. Yeah. I can't, I mean, I'm laughing. That's just like, I'm dumbfounded. I can't believe it. Uh-huh. How do you as a jury, like, what facts were they presented? Like, what? I guess like, it was. What do you mean? I guess it was because George Roden was, like, doing something with a dead body. They had him on that. His his argument was that he was apparently trying to move, like, a family cemetery or something like that. But it wasn't that. So, 
Yeah, well, I mean, two wrongs don't make a right. Right. You can't just shoot somebody because no, of that. No, totally, I agree. But, yeah, they gave it to David Koresh. I'm, I'm sure it was great in court, you know? He's a very convincing man, clearly. Yeah. This is insane. <laughs> and this is the beginning. Like, we haven't even gotten to, like, the, you know, he's barely a cult leader yet. This is fascinating. I know. So now that that was all sorted out, he was their true prophet. And they had Mount Carmel. But the place was kind of a dump, and they had to fix it up. Mount Carmel at the time was very run down. It had no plumbing, and the members would have to go to the bathroom in a bucket and then go outside and bury it. So they all worked to rebuild and clean up the place. And they built a compound. The property was 77 acres. With David Koresh overseeing the work, they turned what a neighbor remembered as quote-unquote, truckloads of lumber with sheetrock, hundreds of pounds of nails, miles of electrical wire, and enough sand and gravel to fill an Olympic-sized pool into a short-term home for him and 120 followers. Koresh laid out floor plans and oversaw construction of what he dubbed Ranch Apocalypse. People came from all over, and their group was very diverse. There were people from Australia, there were New Zealanders, Caribbean Islanders, several Hawaiians, people from Israel, and others from Asian, Mexican, and Native American descent. David Koresh said, don't be flaunting yourself or what country you're from. Don't be flaunting your education or the color of your skin. God's not into that, and we won't tolerate it here. So I guess that's something. They were very diverse. Yeah, I mean, they were very accepting, but I feel like this is not going to be... It's not going to end well. Yeah. No. These people were nurses, teachers, elderly, young people, people from all different walks of life. They were all brought together by David. They believed that he was special and had so much knowledge to share. They built this huge building where they all lived together as a family, and they were basically living in like a hotel. Everyone had a room. They all ate together centrally. The bathrooms were in a very central location. They had mealtime together. They ate a pretty healthy diet. They all hung out together like one happy family, kind of. When they weren't rebuilding or working, the group spent the majority of their time in the church room where David would preach. Bible studies would start in the middle of the afternoon and it would go until David stopped. He would use music a lot in his preaching. He'd play recordings from other times he had preached, music he had recorded. They even had a logo and David Koresh t-shirts with him playing guitar on them. So they were basically like groupies. (laughs) Like, David was at the center of what the people at Mount Carmel believed. They believed the complete knowledge of the Bible was in his head. Koresh's teachings revolved around the book of Revelation. I haven't personally read the book of Revelation, but apparently it can get pretty crazy. Have you read the book of Revelation? I know you went to Catholic school, so I just, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I probably copied it during detention, but I did not read it. Okay, just wondering. According to Dallas Observer reporter Dick J. Revis, he believed whoever wrote it must have been on acid. Because the book of Revelation is full of stories about people riding horses of different colors with spears fighting monsters. It's the Bible's hair-raising climax, with images of God looking down from an emerald throne while four horsemen named Death, Famine, War, and Conquest gallop under stars falling from the sky. It's about the soon-to-come last days. A man would rise to shepherd a chosen few to the kingdom of heaven. 
This leader could do that, provided he could open the seven seals of Revelation, which meant he had to interpret God's plan for the end of time. David Koresh's, like, favorite thing was the seven seals. And basically, his quest was to open the seven seals. And once you open the seven seals, you get to the apocalypse. From my understanding, the seventh seal is the apocalypse. It's the judgment day. And each of these seals would be a different catastrophic event leading toward the apocalypse. And one of these things was the beast Babylon, which was the whole political military power of the world. And the people of God, aka the Branch Davidians, were being opposed or persecuted by Babylon. And in the text, it says that no one in heaven or earth could open the seven seals and cause Babylon to fall. But then it says that there's this lamb who can open the seals. So David Koresh knew that only the lamb of God could open the seven seals and explain it. And because he was interpreting the seals, he became convinced that he was more than just the Messiah. He was the Lamb of God or Christ, the Son of God. So does this make sense or? It does and it doesn't. Okay. Right? Right. It does make sense in that I explained it semi-correctly, but also it doesn't make sense in that he's kind of a crazy person or? A little bit. Okay. Yeah. So he thinks that he is Christ in the flesh. Yes. Yes. And that he is destined to open the seventh seal. Yeah, he's he's opening all of the seven seals and he's going to open the seventh seal and then the apocalypse will come and then they'll then Christ will come to earth, they'll be judged, and then they'll kick it with God forever because <laughs> In his words. Yeah. Does he have a hit single called Kicking It With God? Probably. During he, the apocalypse. He was a rock star. I mean he almost he went to Hollywood to try to become a rock star. That was a detail at the beginning. Did you catch that uh, one? I caught that. I mean, <laughs> you know, I'm sure it didn't hurt yeah. when he was putting on concerts daily. You yeah. Know. Wow. Uh, this is quite the belief, is it not? Yeah. I mean, they're an apocalypse-based religious group. So they are working toward the end time. But they think that they're being persecuted which in itself is kind of hilarious that he can come in and shoot up the compound and then get, and then invite the prosecutors to have ice cream. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How are you persecuted? And then they're going to, with the help of Christ, like defeat the world. It almost seems like they're, they think they're going to win versus Babylon, whatever that is with 120 people. So, no, no. So he he wasn't convinced they were going to win against Babylon. He was convinced that they were going to basically die and then they'd be with God. Oh, they would transcend Babylon. Pretty much. Okay. Yeah. So he convinced his followers that he was the son of God, basically, and he, and they believed him. And according to his ex-followers, he could tell you that the grass was blue and he'd get you to believe it. That's how convincing he was. And as David started to uncover these these seven seals, it became clear to him that the Babylon that they would be facing was the U.S. government. Right. Right. Sure. So if David was the Lamb of God, that made his followers the spiritual elite or the people of God who were going to fight this last battle. 
So these people are his army. They're the army of God for, yeah, pretty much. He told them the group would suffer persecution and martyrdom, and some of them would even fall by fire, which is when they started training to fight the government. They set up obstacle courses. They were physically trained to get ready for battle. They had guns and they practiced shooting because they knew that war was coming and they were prepared to die in it. They were literally preparing to die in battle against the U.S. government. Wow. And it wasn't just the adults using these guns. The children were taught how to shoot and use guns as well. And they were taught to be good soldiers who needed to be ready when the enemy came. They're even training the kids for war? Yes. How old? Like 12? Uh, all ages. I mean, that's insane. I mean, you know, it's all insane. But I don't know why this is like a weird line for me. You're going to train like a six-year-old to help in a battle? I don't think that's a weird line. You don't have to have... You know what I mean? You don't have to feel bad about that it's line. It's all weird, that's, though, I guess is my point. That, yeah, that's not yeah, a weird I, line at all. I'll sit there. I'll defend that. Yeah. Training a six-year-old for war is probably not the best course of action. Super weird. Yeah. The kids sang songs about being soldiers in the army, and they might die, but that's okay because that was God's will. They were literally, like, holding hands and skipping in circles, singing about dying in war. Like, that was what they were doing. After the Lamb of God conquers Babylon, there will be a group of 24 elders who will be rulers of the earth. So David concluded that David had to be the father of those 24 elders. But the problem with that was these elders had to be born of virgins, which is when he started sleeping with the teens because, you know, there weren't many virgins at Mount Carmel. Some of these kids that he was sleeping with were as young as 10 years old. Oh, God, that's disgusting. And what's even maybe more disgusting is that kids' parents were giving permission. Ugh. One of these kids was 14-year-old Rachel Jones, and her parents allowed her to be legally married to David Koresh at the time. She was David's first underage wife, and unfortunately not his last. He had children with Rachel, as well as Rachel's younger sister, Michelle, who was around 13 at the time. Under Texas law at that time, the age of consent with parents' permission was 14, and he got permission, at least for most of them. Liz Beriani, one of the former members, said she had taken some time away from the group, and when she came back just a year or two later, many of these young girls were completely different people. They had just shut down. She was disgusted, as well as a few other members of the group. They felt like something really wrong was going on. Some of these members left the group around this time, but many of them stayed. David was living by the laws of the Bible, so he could explain away having multiple wives or having quote-unquote relationships with these young girls. He cherry-picked what rules to follow from the Bible. Like, sex outside of marriage was okay, but contraception was not. Another example was he banned smoking entirely except for when he lit up, justifying his Marlboro lights, with the description of God in Psalm 18 saying, quote, there went up a smoke out of his nostrils. So he's like, oh, you can't smoke except for me when I want to. Like, God. what? <laughs> he alone decided who could break the rules and when. And there wasn't just sexual abuse going on. There was also physical and mental abuse as well. For sins as small as spilling milk, the children said they were struck with a wooden paddle known as the helper. 
In addition to being paddled with the helper, the children were also disciplined by being deprived of food, sometimes, for as long as a day. To train for battle, they were instructed to fight each other, and if they did not fight hard enough, they were paddled for that as well. They were completely isolated from the outside world. Koresh brainwashed the children into thinking everyone outside of the cult was evil, and he prepared them for what he described as a final battle that would end the world and bring them eternal glory. Koresh threatened to kill the children after his resurrection if they helped the quote-unquote bad guys. At the same time, he told them to call their parents dogs, and only he was to be referred to as their father, but I guess also their husband to a few of them. So outside, everyone is a bad guy, but inside, your parents are dogs, and I'm your father. Incredibly fucked up. It's mind-boggling. Yeah. Slowly but surely, David began to change. He truly believed all the things he was saying, but he was also tortured by them. His Bible studies would start early in the afternoon and would sometimes go until morning. He wouldn't let anyone leave to sleep or eat or even use the restroom. He even told one of the young girls to either wait or to just pee on herself. There was a rumor around Waco that David was taking speed. And as time went on, the emphasis started to shift from the group to it being all about David. He got aggressive and told the group that they shouldn't question anything he said and became much more controlling. He monitored how many hours people worked, what people could wear, specifically the women. The women would have to wear shirts that went down to almost their knees. That way, when they bent over, the men couldn't see their bottoms. And they had armed guards at both the front and back entrances. And it got to the point where the members couldn't come and go as they pleased. They had to ask permission from David. Which is when people started questioning everything. Was he really telling the truth? Wondering, was he really a prophet? Are we in a cult? David was under a lot of pressure. And because he was speaking the word of God, he couldn't be wrong. Because he had been preaching that they were facing the end times, he had to almost create the apocalypse. Around that time, he came up with a doctrine that caused problems for years and almost split up the group. He called it the new light. This annulled marriages. So any married couple in the group had to stop being married. They couldn't have marital relations, they couldn't kiss or even hold hands. And then it became that all women should be with David. They were basically all his wives, and they should have babies with him. Because he was the only one who could produce righteous children, and all women in the world belonged to him. Some of the women in the group felt like it was the highest honor to be taken as God's wife. But others didn't entirely feel that way. They loved their husbands and didn't want to never even hold their hand again. But if they didn't follow David's word, they'd be risking eternal punishment because what if he truly was the son of God? He had somewhere around 20 children with these women and girls. And some of these women and girls were already mother and daughter. Ugh, disgusting. At least a few of them were proud to join the harem they called House of David. But there were men who had been trying to have children with their wives, but couldn't for years. And then David had a kid with their wife. Dude, I don't understand how you let that happen. I mean, I know that this is all insane, but if you don't wake up from that, I don't know if you will. There was at least one instance where um, there was a couple who were have, trying to have kids for a while, couldn't. And then the new light happened. And then David had a kid with the wife. 
And then, you know, this man who couldn't be married to his wife took care of this kid that was not even his, technically. But he loved it because it was his quote-unquote wife's, you know? Yeah. It's just sad. It's really sad and just so bizarre. Yeah. Weird. He's really, I mean, at this point, this is why, this is when the group is like really starting to splinter. If you're going to take everyone's wife, you would imagine that people might start to ask questions. Well, it was splinter. It started with the young girls and then now it's wives. Yeah. So anyway, David made the men who lost their wives all live together because of course they couldn't continue living with their wives. He even made them burn pictures that they had with their wives. So they couldn't even have any pictures, which is just like, really? What the fuck, dude? Right. One of the women, Kathy Jones, felt like David was closing in on her and she didn't want to like be with him. So she packed up and left in the middle of the night. She had kids and her husband still in the group, but they had been separated with the new light and she felt like she couldn't take her kids because she had nowhere to take them and had nothing to provide for them with. And then her daughter was told that if she wanted to see her mother, then she would be a traitor. So she just left the group and couldn't see her kids or her husband. God, that's so heartbreaking. I know. But you could say that the new light was the beginning of the end. Mark Bro who had been one of David Koresh's right-hand men from the very beginning, before David Koresh had even been put in a place of power, had been thinking about leaving the group for a while. Their relationship had gotten really bad. Not just because of the new light, it was also because of the young wives. But because things had been getting really tense, he had learned that David had men in the group keeping an eye on him, and if he tried to leave or said anything, then they were instructed to beat Mark to a pulp from David. Like, this was instruction from David. So because he had no other choice, Mark also left in the middle of the night and fled to Australia to be with his wife, Liz. But after leaving the group, Mark had gotten in touch with authorities to investigate what was going on at Mount Carmel, particularly David Koresh sleeping with underage girls. He called the sheriff's department in Waco or anyone he thought would listen, but no one would give them the time of day. Finally, he got the child welfare authorities to go and investigate. But after talking to all the parents in Mount Carmel, they couldn't get any confirmation of the allegations Mark had made. So as far as the group was concerned, Mark had become their Judas and nobody got in trouble. The investigation was closed and nothing happened. Did they talk to the kids at all? Nobody said anything. That's how cults go, but it's so frustrating. Yeah. So so after that, suspicions were not raised again for another two years. That was until 1992, when the sound of automatic gunfire was heard coming from Mount Carmel. They had been getting information that weapons were being converted to automatic machine guns, which is extremely dangerous and illegal. Around that time, David and the group had been going to gun shows to buy and sell guns, but they were making illegal weapons. They had something that would take out a piece from semi-automatic weapons to make them fully automatic machine guns, which is very illegal. And they sold secondhand Russian AK-47s, Israeli Uzis, gas masks, and ammo vests labeled David Koresh's survival wear, hunting jackets made by Mount Carmel seamstresses, 
that came complete with dummy grenades sewn into the fabric to make them look extra deadly. And from that, he and his flock cleaned up. The gun show profits paid for a swimming pool at Mount Carmel, as well as dirt bikes, go-karts, a 52-inch widescreen TV for the chapel, and after that, David hosted movie nights, screening Apocalypse Now, Full Metal Jacket, and other Vietnam War films for his followers, and he called these war movies training films. So he was basically just having them watch war movies as, like, training. But David also Wait. used... No, no, no. So he made his own military gear brand? Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, but he was also using that money to arm them. Yeah. Larry Gilbreth, who was a UPS delivery driver, unintentionally armed this cult to the gills. He would deliver packages to the compound, sometimes making several trips a week. For months, he had no idea what were in these packages until he started noticing the labels. They were receiving large shipments from arms dealers. While that in itself wasn't illegal, Larry noticed that these packages just kept coming. He didn't know what a religious group would need to be armed like that for. And he saw these dummy or empty hand grenades fall out of one of these boxes, which is when he decided to call the sheriff's office because those dummy hand grenades can be activated or made live. And this was very troubling news to find out that this religious cult was stockpiling these weapons. At the time, the ATF was looking to get a bigger budget from the government. And when they got word that there was a cult in Waco, Texas, that was extremely armed, that seemed like pretty good reason to get more funding. So the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms started an investigation into David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. Undercover ATF agent Robert Rodriguez rented a house across from the compound. They set up cameras in the house and made up a story that they were roommates and, you know, they were like in college or whatever. But that wasn't fooling David or the Branch Davidians. They knew that they weren't college students or roommates. Guys, come up with a better story. Nobody's a college student in the middle of fucking Waco. Right. You narcs. <laughs> they knew that they were there to see how many illegal weapons they had. And David wanted to meet him. He brought over one of his followers with him. I guess it was for backup. And he then taught the Bible to Robert. He would make sure that Robert was following along with the Bible to make him participate. And then he asked Robert if he believed if he was the Messiah or not. And Robert told him, I don't know, but your words are so strong. <laughs> and that was good enough for David. So I guess he left after that. But he knew that the government was closing in on him. And he told his group that they should be prepared to get raided soon. And he began talking about a siege. He told them that there would be police cars surrounding the property. He mentioned at one point that they may all end up getting burnt to death. So David told them to just enjoy their last summer on Earth. Meanwhile, Agent Rodriguez confirmed to the ATF that the Branch Davidians were stockpiling weapons. And after that, a search warrant had been granted. Rodriguez knew the Davidians were there to die, so they had to hit them off guard. So they set a date for the raid, February 28th, 1993. And that's the end of part one. Oh, come on. We are definitely not slowing down for part two because we will be talking about the raid of Mount Carmel and it was not easy. I'll just say that. 53 days. 51. 
how many times am I going to say it? This is insane. (laughs) Like, he made a brand selling automatic weapons and bulletproof gear. Yep. And then they put dirt bikes in a pool and stockpiled to battle the government. And had his entire group of people prepared to die. All of them. Yeah. Down to the children. The children were prepared to die. What do you do as the government? Well, what do you do? The ATF, they really needed an element of surprise for this raid to go effectively. And if they lost it, it was going to be really bad. They were calling it Operation Trojan Horse. And some agents were calling it Showtime because it was like, they were like, Showtime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now I'm dipping into part two a little bit, but... Some of the agents wanted to know what happened if things didn't go as planned, like what was plan B. And the response that they were given was run like hell. So, well, yeah, I have so, to say, if you're going into a essentially a military operation with no plan B, that's incredibly stupid. Yeah. So I won't dip into part two anymore. We'll just come back for that one next time because it's going to be wild. But um, yeah, they really were relying on the element of surprise. And they didn't get it, unfortunately. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the mental gymnastics and the magnetism that he seems to have is crazy to me. Like, yeah. are there any videos of him preaching at all? Oh, yeah. To kind of get an idea of, like, what is, just like, I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's recordings for sure. Just thinking about what people have said that he believed, I just feel like it would be so easy to be like, this is bs yeah you know yeah it's really hard to but, put yourself in in someone's shoes that was there and be like oh right. yeah I, he was so smart and so like it, i just don't i don't know how yeah i mean you know easy to say from the outside no, of course. but but I, also i've heard so many people say like oh it's i feel like it's so easy to fall into a cult because it's like it doesn't happen immediately. It, like it, it's such a gradual thing, and they they make you feel so safe and so like. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. Is yeah. like, you don't really have to think about anything. You don't right. think about where your food's gonna come from. You don't have to think about morals. You don't have to think about if you're doing the right thing. You just are told what to do. They make you feel so good and so safe you know? and so secure, and they give you like the answers that you're looking for. That's the thing that really gets people is. Like, it's usually someone who's, like, looking for answers, you right. know? Right, and he's just And he's really giving confident. them the answers. Yeah. That was the thing that people were... that That's the thing that people were saying over and over is, like, you could ask him anything. You could literally ask him any question, and he could give you the answer to anything. And it was, like, a good answer. Really? Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like, these were all educated people. These were, like, nurses and teachers and, like, like they're smart people. Hmm. young people old people like people from all different walks of life they weren't all like stupid uneducated people which is what what's so shocking to me it's like they're all so many different people like all different education levels not that only uneducated people are like religious that's not what i'm saying but you know what i mean like it's just interesting let's let's say that you are stupid and uneducated you might be behind the eight ball when it comes to a a cult leader you know (laughs) Maybe, maybe. I'm sure it's appetizing or kind of hypnotic to anyone to get the answer to any question you want. Yeah. You know, and if he's convincing, he was definitely convincing. I mean, you're a religious person to begin with, maybe. Yeah. You know, you accept that. Well, I feel like you'd have to be. Right. 
But that's what they were saying is like he could tell you that the grass was blue and he could convince you that it was crazy. Like, how would you do that? I don't know. See, you might think it's green, right? But that's on your human eyes, right? I'm sorry, but you're not the lamb of God. I... I simply don't believe you. Do you even know what a seal is? Do you? No. Because I do, (laughs) and I know how to open it. Oh, God. I'm the only one who can do so. Oh, Lord. Anyway, um, what's your good thing? My good thing is that we're not in a cult. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good thing. That is a good thing. Let's keep it that way. Um, Part of me does envy like the community around like religion because i'm not a super religious person and like i i do kind of think that that's a really beautiful thing i mean not not to the extent of cult (laughs) like i don't want to be in a cult let's make that very clear but like i do find that very beautiful for people yeah i mean you know it's certainly something to really be said for a support system and a community that would help you through life or if you had a hard time you know absolutely for sure and you know to their extent, it's like they're making food for each other and providing for each other. It's a whole nother level. Yeah, I mean, there's just definitely not good in all fronts. I'll tell you what, that's it really... It can go too far. Re- and it has gone too far. And it did. Very quickly. But, yeah, I don't know. Something could be said for it. Absolutely. What's your good thing? My good thing is that I got my stitches out oh, today. Oh, that's such a good thing. I got a mole chopped. It's gone. Shaved. Shaved. Ew. stitches out <laughs> so i don't know they were super annoying i'm glad they're out yeah and it was like in the worst spot because you couldn't yeah. reach it on your back <laughs> yeah it was in the middle of my back yeah so I- i'm glad that we're not gonna have to put band-aids on it multiple well you really <laughs> me but uh wash yeah. and care for your stitches <laughs> it's <laughs> multiple nice. times a day it's gone. yeah yeah um what, what's your good thing irish soda bread okay we're going a little saint patrick's day when this comes out it will be done but... yeah it's over but um when we're recording it hasn't happened yet so that's correct <laughs> crazy how time works um yeah i haven't had it yet but i will have it at some point what you've had it before y- yeah before but i want to eat it in Again? the next few days okay that's my goal. And so I'm I'm giving you a, a goal-oriented good thing. Okay. My goal is to eat soda bread. Okay. Good. I what hope do we got to do? I hope you all ate it already. Some corned beef. That's like an Irish St. Patty's Day thing, Isn't right? That what they do? Yeah, corned beef and cabbage, right? Shepherd's pie. Did you, ha- did you all have a shamrock shake? Now that is a thing of beauty. I was going to say, there's not that many Irish dishes that are like... I actually don't know because I don't know what Irish dishes are. But that's my point, is that if they were that great, we would know about them. That's right? that's some fighting words, and I feel like the Irish could fight you and you would lose. But you're right? the Irish, so... They're across the pond and an entire country. I'm not scared. I am the Irish also. I'm going to Ireland. I am So soon. Irish. That's my yeah. good thing. <gasps> that's my other good thing that's related to my other good thing. I'm going to Ireland. You're going to Dublin. Yeah. Beautiful. Slay. Tell them I what I said. Um, okay, I'll Let tell them know. I'll tell the people of Dublin what you said. Anyway, 
Thank you all so much for listening. If you would like to look at all the pictures we post of all the stories we talk about, check us out on Instagram at nottoday underscore podcast. If you would like to check out the bonus episodes that we have up, check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash nottodaypodcast. If you or anyone you know has a story of survival or a near-death experience that you would like to share with us and possibly hear on an upcoming listeners episode, send it to nottodaypodcast at gmail.com. We have a TikTok that is nottodaypodcast and a Twitter that is nottodaypodcast, but the T on the end of podcast is a three. Because that makes sense. And just keep breathing. Yeah. Yeah.